Welcome to episode 50 of GBW Podcast. My name is Josh, and with me as always is Chris. Hello, everybody. Today we're really excited. Um, first of all, it's our 50th episode, and um, for this, we were trying to come up with who would be like the coolest guest we could possibly get in Vancouver. And uh, I just happened to go to our Bordello of Blood screening last month, and uh, who happened to walk on stage was Mr. Todd Masters. And for those of you who don't know, Todd is one of the premier visual or special effects people in the world, and um, he's done all kinds of things. He's got a filmography ranging from Demon Knight to Slither to Night of the Creeps. Um, he's been in TV with uh, True Blood and Stargate, all kinds of things. So we're really, really excited to be talking to Todd, and thank you so much for doing this, Todd. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a 50th. That's fantastic. You guys look great for 50. <laughs> thank Josh, you. Josh is almost there. I've got, wow. I've got a lot of gray coming. But, uh... well, thanks for having me. It's nice to have you guys over here at Masters Effects, too. You're here yeah. at the uh, Masters Effects uh, Vancouver studio. Yeah, and it was my first opportunity to do a tour of a shop, and i got to tell you, Pretty rad. Wow, yeah. shit. I didn't even turn anything on or make anything no, explode okay. yet. <laughs> that's I mean. okay. I'm such a movie nerd. <laughs> oh, God. oh, God. There's Rooker up there. Oh. <laughs> the Rooker looking down on you. We're actually surrounded by monsters looking down at us right at this very moment. Yeah. yeah. So you better not fuck up. <laughs> well, just to clarify, we're in our display, one of our display areas, and uh, the monsters are all not living currently. They're not on the screen, so they're just staring at us in a frozen expression. Yes. It's kind of creepy, Which actually. even more terrifying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> with her bottom of her jaw missing is kind of creeping me out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, she's available for rent, you know, bar mitzvahs or uh, social events, whatever, weddings. Absolutely. She played. Kiss the bride. Yeah, you just, here's your jaw. <laughs> no, it's, uh, that's a uh, head from Hemlock Grove, actually. She's uh, got her jaw ripped off for those fans that know that sequence. That's that head. Nice. Actually, thinking of a bucket of blood right now, too, a little bit, but. Uh... Oh, wow. Wow. Really? Okay. Jeez. I didn't work on that one, but uh, a little before my time. Um, so one thing that Masters Effects is kind of known for is being um, one of the first companies to uh, really be able to combine uh, practical and visual effects together. And uh, just when a lot of companies were just uh, sticking with practical, uh, Todd was kind of a, a pioneer in uh, being able to combine the two of them together. And uh, that's a really exciting thing uh, as well. And just wondering what, what made you start wanting to go in that direction? Hmm. Uh, well, first of all, that's cool you recognize that because <laughs> uh, we've, uh, we've really been working hard on that for a long time. Um, actually, when I was a kid, um, I started in the film business when I was like 12. Um, and I worked at a couple different places in and around Seattle where I grew up. And one of them was Alpha Cine. And uh, Alpha Effects at the time was their optical division. Alpha Cine was basically a film lab. But within them, they had a very well-renowned visual effects uh, department just called Alpha Effects. And I think pretty much nearly every single person out of there uh, moved directly to ILM. And uh, it was kind of the creme la creme of people that were tinkering with opticals at the time. And so a few of those guys, uh, Bruce Vaquito, Bruce Walters, Charlie Canfield, uh, Vince Eberle, uh, Brian McDonald, a bunch of them um, – just saw what a sweet kid I was and uh, took me under their wing and, you know, taught me the basics of, you know, the Oxbury camera and the optical printer and, you know, how to work all this crazy magic back. This is, you know, of course, pre-digital. And one day uh, some film came across my desk, you know, I was a little intern there doing all the nasty chemistry for printing uh, various gags and processing film. Uh, came uh, a blue-backed 
uh, reel of a little spaceship in it, but it was going sideways. And it was a snow speeder from Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, hey, what the hell is this? And my boss says, oh, that's Star Wars 2. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I'm working on Star Wars 2. So that was pretty cool. But it's, uh, it kind of gave me a, a really uh, sharp perspective on how to put shots together. Back then it was optical, so you really had to lay it out. You really had to line it up. Um, you know, frame by frame, moment by moment on these big lineup sheets. So when you're running the optical printer, you can put things together in appropriate ways. Now that it's all digital, of course, it's super easy and you can kind of bypass a lot of that, but the principles still remain the same. You need to shoot these certain items and in these certain ways. And so if we were able to build on that with our, you know, our makeup effects experience, we started, uh, you know, developing tricks that no one else was really thinking of because we were kind of somewhere between, uh, visual effects and makeup. And so I also did uh, quite a few years at Boss Films, you know, Richard Edlund's company, working on uh, Predator and Big Trouble in Little China and Poltergeist 2. And and I seemed to be the only guy in the monster shop that really spoke, you know, visual effects. At that point, I think we were still calling it optical effects. So like when Predator came along and we had to figure out, you know, how to make this, you know, suit, it was supposed to be a, a process color suit going through the jungle uh, that Robert Greenberg and Associates was going to do the compositing work on. Um, nobody knew how to do that. Nobody knew what the point of making a mat was. And of course, this is still pre-digital. And so I was the first one to go, hey, we should make it this color. And it's kind of weird shit like that that just kind of helped me kind of get a bit ahead of everybody else's thinking just because I had the experience. And so I kept kind of pushing it uh, and when computers came along, you know, we were the first to bring in, you know, these gigantic computers that really did nothing. But we we at least started pushing into it, at least on a makeup effects level. And we did a lot of our design work. We had seen, uh, I think Optic Nerve at that time was the only company that had really done some, like, digital designing. It was even before Photoshop. And so we kind of started getting into that side of it and really developing things, you know, on a design level while we were still trying to think about how can we make this effect you know, how can we plus up everybody else's ideas? How can we make a trick much better? And if you look at things like one of our big breakthroughs was um, uh, Star Trek First Contact when the Queen Borg comes down right. from the Raptors and all that. It, it was just almost happenstance that we ended up doing that gag. We just happened to be in a meeting that ILM wasn't in a meeting for. <laughs> and so I raised my hand. I said, I think we do it this way. <laughs> and then later on, ILM finds out that we're doing it that way. And, you know, they certainly were great about going along with it, but it was very outside of the box. They definitely weren't thinking that way. And it really became kind of a, a, a good jump forward of mixing the practical and digital. How do you get the best out of both? And, you know, the practical side of it, we had Alice Krieg's head and shoulders in reality coming down from the rafters. And what's better than actually having her head and shoulders really there talking and all that? You can't beat that. And then being on the same stage with Brent Spiner, you know, doing this great introductional, you know, scene where they're facing each other off. If you shot her three months after you shot him or vice versa, it wouldn't have the same power. You would you would definitely miss something. So we really wanted to capture it, you know, for other reasons just then. You know, this is the easy way to do the effects at this point in time. And so that's, you know, how we kept evolving things. And we still do it. We still come up with really bizarre ways to kind of mix mediums. That was a hell of a long answer for your question. I'm sorry. That was a great answer, Matt. How many hours (laughs) we got tonight? But you know what I mean? It's just a matter of how do you think outside the box? Uh, We always use the analogy of we like to have more crayons in our Crayola set than the other companies because we try to come up with different ideas and other ways of doing things that a lot of people aren't. 
Well, that 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 scene that you were describing from Star Trek is such a great example too, because it literally shows the head coming down onto a body, and then the body, I believe, walk starts walking, yeah. and it's yeah. just it's just so cool. And right? it was all right there. I mean, there was no CG Alice. There was no shooting Alice later. You know, we it basically, you know, when she plugs into her body, if you can imagine, you know, that being just a couple frame quickie morph from her in this weird elaborate slant board rig, we called it, which is just her head and shoulders, uh, and the rest of her body covered in blue. And then we do a quick little switch out, you know, just as she plugs in with some cool little animation that John Knoll and company did. Um, she's kind of quickly morphed into her standing there and then walking away. And it was just a beautiful shot. Oh, yeah. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it was fun to do because we... We literally tested it like the day before. Nobody thought we were going to be able to pull that off. They all had like the finger on the B plan. They're ready to go B plan, <laughs> you know. And I'm like, no, this is going to be great. And you know, it worked. Right on. Um, there's, there's also some congratulations in order right now because um, really? I believe recently you uh, won a couple of awards for uh, R.L. Stein's Monsterville: The Cabinet of Souls. <laughs> Damn, you've done your homework. <laughs> you did. Um, I think you won a Daytime Emmy. Yes. As yeah. well as yes. um, a Leo Award, which is a BC Film Award. Yes, yeah. The Daytime Emmy, um, we were up against The View and Ellen for uh, Best uh, Monster. <laughs> Let me tell you, that competition, I know, right? Uh, Ellen's still looking pretty good, but uh, The View, I thought, you know, man. They could probably use you guys to go in. Yeah, but I thought that was so funny because they don't really have, like, Best Monster category. They have Best Makeup, and, you know, there's all these other daytime shows right. that like it's Rachel Ray. Yeah, exactly. I think we were up against her too. Fact, so I knew a bunch of the makeup artists that, you know, did all the the powder and gloss. And I saw them at the event. I'm like, "Hi. <laughs> what are we doing here?" But yeah, that was fun. Well, it's still cool cuz I think that would go with your primetime Emmy for True Blood. 6 feet under. 6 feet under. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah. You didn't so, do your homework quite as well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, both Alan Ball shows, look, so, you know, that's pretty good. I got to primetime yeah. Emmy, six feet under. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, man. That's great that you recognize that. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, all, all the awards we get, I mean, uh, some of these I actually do have a chance, like the daytime Emmys we shared with a bunch of our team here in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, the six feet under award, we, you know, they only gave us a small spatter to people that we were able to share it with. Uh, the Leo, they just gave my name on it, which is kind of silly. I mean, mm-hmm. we have three different shops. We have, you know, three different amazing teams of artists that, you know, do all this stuff. And uh, it's great to be recognized. But it is it is a, a team award, and the company definitely needs the, the pat on the back as well, all the great artists here. Absolutely. I think you won a couple of other Leos for um, one of a movie we both really like, Fido. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, we have, me some Fido. Yeah, Fido was fun. We have actually a whole uh, awards thing upstairs we haven't seen yet, but that's we've got like a dozen of these Leos. So, oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it'd be great to check that out. Yeah. All right, so let's go back in time a little bit and just go, go back to um, Little Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Mini Todd. <laughs> so um, I believe you were born in Seattle? Yep. Correct? Okay. Yep. Um, so I just wanted to talk it's a bit actually about hatched. I don't know hatched. <laughs> so just talking a little bit about um, just childhood and sort of what got you into into movies and into particular in sure. into monsters. Um, well, okay, so I was a really creative kid. I'm still a really creative kid, um, and I would draw and I would paint. You know, my parents would kind of recognize this, and they would. They would give me paper instead of, you know, having me draw on the wall. I was, like, drawing all over the walls as a kid. They didn't like that. But they started giving me paper. I would draw. Then they would give me clay, and I would sculpt. And it was, you know, it was just kind of this evolutionary thing. I don't know, 
you know, what, what was in my head that needed to get out, but I just kept going and, um, I love to make little characters and sculptures, and my dad had an eight millimeter camera that I immediately destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, sorry, Dad. Um, and but it, it taught me um, how these things sort of work, and that I actually could, you know, get something out of it. I could actually process this stuff and make something, um, you know, that maybe somebody would watch. <laughs> Nobody did, but um, so I did a lot of movies as a kid, and I actually even started making my book reports as movies. Nice. I just, for some reason, wow. I thought it'd be easier. <laughs> so, uh, and there was just kind of this whole thing about, you know, none of the neighborhood kids would show up for their call times and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff, so I kind of got to a point where I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to make my actors and not wait for them to show up. You know, what are they doing, playing? <laughs> <laughs> so I started sculpting, you know, actors, and I, you know, I remembered seeing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all these things, and so I would just go to the phone books at the local library, and I'd go, well, I hear this Will Vinton guy's in uh, Portland, and I would just call him up, and I'd say, hey, how are you doing that kind of claymation stuff or whatever he was doing at the time? And, you know, he, fortunately he would give me the time and all that. And then I kept reading magazines like Ray Harryhausen. and I'll call him and I would find uh, a phone book for London and I would, he was there. He was, you know, what was it? One Ilchester way or yeah, whatever I it was. I, could do that now, yeah. I, well, I don't think he's available. <laughs> but, no, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd call him up and I didn't know anything about time zones wow. or, or international call billing. And I'm sure my parents found out. But I would call all these people and ask them, and, and, I, and I had a really deep voice, even at like nine. And so they just kind of, for whatever reason, would talk to me and tell me these things. And So what did, what did Ray Harryhausen say to you? He was great. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a feeling. and I, That's I an amazing story. Isn't it funny? <laughs> um, well, the Seattle Library Gang, uh, if you need a phone number, go to their, uh, they have yellow pages or white pages or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I did that a lot. I, I called uh, Jim Danforth. I called Craig Reardon and Tom Berman. And all these guys were great. And they would just kind of – because there was no books. There was no internet. There was no video. Yeah. And so Harryhausen was you know, a very jolly kind of guy. And he was actually really cool. He was very open to talking. And his, his wife would always answer. And um, I always felt like I was like pulling him away from animating a skeleton or something like that. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, shit, I just screwed up that movie. <laughs> um, but eventually uh, I, a couple of the people that I had talked with on the phone – in uh, Los Angeles, uh, you know, kind of welcomed me. Like, Next time you're in town, why don't you, you know, come on over. And so I, I met Jim Danforth that way, and I met Craig Reardon that way, and Tom Berman and Steve Johnson and all that. And so, you know, I think I was probably maybe 15, 16 in those years. So high school came and went. I applied to art school. Um, I'm still making all my own movies all this time, but, you know, I kind of felt like I needed some further schooling. And so I went to, I applied to all these great art schools. I actually made a really cool portfolio that I thought was a, a, just an absolute. And, of course, got rejected by everybody. Oh. And um, so I went to a local school in Seattle. I spent like half a day there and quit. And, you know, I'd already been working on Empire Strikes Back. You know? <laughs> so it's like, so uh, I kind of was a little frustrated at, you know, 18 and just packed up my Volkswagen bus and drove to L.A. And the first day I was there, I started working on Big Trouble in Little China. First day. First day. Wow. And I didn't get paid. I mean, I was a, just a no-paid intern, but, you know, by the end of the week, they actually said, okay, the kid can stay, and we'll pay him. And That's so, how you roll into town, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'd already made my phone calls. I'd already seen those guys. They already thought I was 20, and I was 18. You know, I was like this big kid. And uh, I did Poltergeist 2 pretty fast after that. 
uh, Night of the Creeps pretty fast after that. Uh, you know, like kind of just literally dropped into the vein of, you know, the 80s, middle 80s genre monster making. And it was a blast. <laughs> I can imagine. Like, what a perfect time to yeah. be getting into this. I couldn't sop it up more. I would work day, night, <laughs> early night, late night. You know, I would do all the, every, I did everybody's movie all in one day. I would work at Boss Films during the day. I'd go up in the valley at night and I'd work on Night of the Creeps. And, you know, it's just kind of how it was then. There was so much stuff going on. And, you know, I was barely born. So I had a lot of energy and a lot of artistic, you know, gumption and just went for it and it was a blast it was great and you know that's kind of how it kind of got going and that passion and that fever is really what started this company you know because i had too much <laughs> i was just like i want to do everything <laughs> so uh you know we're actually pushing 30 now we're uh we're on our 29th year right now so next year is uh, 30 that's fantastic and weird because i'm only 22 <laughs> 24 26 I don't know. it's that delorean we saw parked yeah <laughs> right exactly exactly it's the painting i have in the attic <laughs> but yeah so it's no, kind of crazy that, that 80s that's like even for us that's the prime yeah. time for us being yeah. movie fans right like, it really was like you know like you said Night of the Creeps Josh and I argue about Night of the Creeps all the time oh nice you know, I love it he kind of but we're you it's know, the 80s right I mean it's, it's, like, it's, it's like, what like you... every week there's a new monster movie yeah. coming out and then I'm looking at what you've worked on, I'm like, this guy worked on every friggin' monster. Well, movie I, I have so many friends that have so many, so many more impressive credits than I do. I'm looking I mean, at your Return of Swamp Thing poster yeah, on the wall over there, and I'm like, oh funny? yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, that was really cool because it was all happening in the valley for the most part of Los Angeles, and we all knew everybody, you know. And what you know, there was, it's still a very small community, but back then, we were all just starting. You know, we were kids, and everybody was a kid. And it's kind of funny because now. You know, ADI is turning 30 uh, next year with, with us. KMB is turning 30 next year with us. You know, we're all kind of of the same kind of era. And we all, you know, we all now have the same hairdo. I guess <laughs> I guess back then we had the same hairdo too. But, you know, it's kind of like we used to have, uh, we used to play softball, you know, shop against shop. And it was a really great com- camaraderie. And uh, that, for the most part, has actually really lasted. You know, I still know these guys personally and they still, you know, complain about this and that to me we have a very open kind of relationship i've got a a buddy of mine working on a show that we're starting to work on too and he's working on one part of it we're working on another part of it we're both kind of like you know sort of talking out of school (laughs) it's kind of fun actually it's like okay you know this is like the old days but yeah it's it's a it's a very small class that still exists but uh 80 80 monster makers still live that's great and um so what was it like back at that time like um you know, like you hear stories about like Rob Bottin on the thing and how he was like working 24 hours a day. Were you all, was it all like yeah, that? Yeah, we were all like that. There was no overtime. There was just flat rates. Um, we had more prep time. I mean, you know, nowadays everything's TV schedule. You know, your prep time is like a week or two weeks or three weeks if you're lucky. Um, <clears throat> back then, you know, we, well, like Rob on the thing, he had a year to prep the thing. A year. And, you know, it's like, that's unconscionable. I mean, uh, Dead Heat, I think we had four months prep. And that was like, wow, we got four months. And that, of course, we used every hour of it. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, everybody kind of lived for it. We all kind of flocked to Southern California from all these places all over, you know, the world, more or less all over North America. But, I mean, there was, like, Screaming Mad George came from Japan. Uh, Michiko, uh, Michiko Otawa, she was, uh, she was Japanese. Um, there's a couple Japanese people that came in. A um, couple Canadians, not many. 
um, you know, a lot of people from like the Midwest and stuff like that. And, you know, J.J. Abrams actually brought this up once because he was one of us. Still sort of is, but kind of <laughs> kind of growing up a little more. Um, but he was one of us making monsters in his basement and, you know, talking to Dick Smith on the phone. And, you know, and he, he definitely got all that. I don't think he had the cool hair. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. We all like every one of us kids had a Super 8 camera or whatever the technology was shooting our crap in our backyards. We all read the same magazines. I don't know if we all called Ray Harryhausen at 3 in the morning, but <laughs> we all seem to have kind of the same story. You know, There's, if you talk to a bunch of people that were like Dick Smith disciples, they all have the same story. They all took the train to his place. They had some type of sandwich. I'm trying to remember. Uh, Dick's wife used to always make these mayonnaise and something sandwiches. And every single one of these guys had the same damn story. Same with the West Coast guys. You know, everybody going to the West Coast was, you know, it was Rick Baker or Stan or, you know, whatever. Uh, we all kind of did the same thing. We made our own shit. We took photos of it. We mailed it. We hope the hell someone picked it up and you know thought, hey, maybe if you ever get to L.A. And so we took the trek and showed up, and I was lucky. I started working day one. I don't know about all the rest. But, yeah, it was fun. It was a blast. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, our clothes were covered in material, and, you know, we stunk like urethane. And, and you know, <laughs> I'm sure we were probably not as uh, as groovy as we think we were. But, you know. <laughs> Um, so just going back to Boss Film Studio a bit, that was um, Richard Edlund's company yep. from yep. ILM. I think. He, well, Richard worked yeah. at ILM, and then he started his own company after 2010. That movie, not the not the year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, they kind of picked up after Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was a company called EEG, uh, boy, Entertainment something or other group. And uh, that was some Trumbull people and kind of a makeup for doing Ghostbusters. And, and Edlin basically started it from there, I think. I might have my history slightly off. But anyway, Edlin's team, um, you know, was Fright Night and Poltergeist 2 and Solar Babies, which almost killed Mel Brooks. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Big Trouble in Little China. And we had, you know, a pretty good vein there for a while. And, uh, you know, the Monster Shop uh, and the Miniature Shop were all in this gigantic warehouse. Um, down the block from where the main offices were, which had the optical department and animation, some shooting stages. And, uh, you know, you just walk down the block of Marina Del Rey, California, and, you know, the miniatures or optical printers or whatever. And it's just now it's all condos, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. So it was a really cool place to work. I can imagine. Um, so at this point, I, we're just going to go through some of some of the titles of like the main ones in our brain of of things that you've done and um just like first word that comes to my mind yeah like word associations <laughs> fish <laughs> all right so, condoms um, one, of, one of my <laughs> sorry i'm having a moment of Tourette's gummy over bear. here <laughs> right exactly gummy oh, bears. i didn't have the gummy bears you gotta have the gummy bears i, know, I don't want to eat and okay well, i'll have one after <laughs> yeah we don't want to fill you up with a gummy bear i mean you know those are good excellent gummy bears Okay, so one of my favorite creatures that you've um, created um, was for Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Okay. I love the way the demons look in that. Cool. And, um, yeah. yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. And um, I guess, first of all, just how did you come up with the uh, how did you come up with the design for those? And what was the inspiration? Well, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, so Demon Knight was the first Tales from the Crypt movie. We had done a bunch of the series, uh, pretty much all of the series, except for um, some of the first season, yada, yada, yada. But when it came time to do the movies, the producer's idea was literally we're going to take the uh, television crew and switch them into the features crew and, you know, 
everything will go perfectly, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so when we first got our script for Demon Knight, um, it was like the greatest script ever. It was just like, oh my God, this is just like going to be Citizen Kane of demons. And um, <laughs> it was like wall-to-wall demons and we were like happily doing our budget and just starting to conceive ideas and these are going to be so crazy and we're going to blow away Rob Botine and all those other guys. And um, turn in my budget and Gil Adler, the producer, goes, Thanks. all right gil and uh so he you know read through it and hadn't heard from him for a little bit i'm like when when the hell's this show gonna start right i thought we're gonna go right from the series into this thing and sure enough there's a new script hey cool i'll read the script all the demons have been cut (laughs) so they obviously didn't (laughs) like our budget and we're like fuck um by the way can i swear on this yeah So we kind of had a little issue, and I went into Gil's office, um, and uh, Gil and I are really good friends, don't get me wrong. We, we actually had a lot of fun teasing each other. And I said, Demon Knight, you know, without any demons is, is ridiculous. So we, we, we're tales of the crib. We cannot do a movie called Demon Knight <laughs> with no demons. And, you know, to the writers and Gil and everybody's credit, they actually did have demons in that version of the script, but they looked like humans and they were just like wearing like the Blues Brothers outfits, you know, the, the jackets and the suit pants and the dark glasses, right? That's literally really? what they wanted. Wow, wow. And they would, at one point, they would tilt down their dark glasses and you'd see like the flames of hell in their eyes. And, <laughs> and I'm like, dude, we can't do that. I mean, it's, I, I get the reason, but you know, somehow we have to find a budget to do some demons. He's like, no, you got to figure out a way to do it. <laughs> So it's like, okay. It's an entirely different movie yeah. if they were oh, Jake and, Jake and uh, Elwood. Yeah, Jake and Elwood and his buddies hell. were showing up. You know, here, let me give you a little look of hell. So uh, we went back to the drawing board, and I had a really great team at the time. Um, and we were all super young. And um, we just kind of looked around, and our runner uh, at the time, Josh Patton, who was uh, cousins of Scott Patton, who was one of my lead artists on that. We saw that he was pretty freaking scrawny. And we're like, dude, you're really scrawny. And then we look at uh, Walt Phelan, who's also working with us at the time. We go, Walt, you look terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we ought to be a demon. And Walt does not look terrible. He's actually a very handsome-looking guy. But he, he, at that time, was super thin, super scrawny. And so we're like, Walt, would you mind like coming outside in your underwear so we could photograph you? <laughs> It's not creepy. Yeah, it's not weird at all. And so we photographed these guys in their underwear in kind of demonic poses. And that was actually one of the first um, digital designs we did was on uh, Demon Knight. It wasn't Photoshop. It was Opal Paint, which was an Amiga program. It was way before Photoshop. Yeah, Amiga. Yeah, yeah, we were rocking the Amigas. And uh, so we started designing on that. And uh, Scott Patton and I uh, started hammering this out. I did a pencil sketch as i recall and which got really close to that and then he took it and put it into the photo well not the photoshop but the non-photoshop and we came up with this design that was really using most of the performers bodies so if we can find bodies that were really emaciated looking we don't really have to do much right because our idea of demons was like really powerfully strong but weak looking individuals almost like a Harryhausen harpy was without the wings was my idea it was you know somewhere in that range and so we wanted them to have kick-ass faces really scrawny bodies long spindly fingers a tail leg extensions which we had already designed and figured that out and um so literally we came up with instead of doing suits we did them as makeups and so the the rib cages and everything you know glued on a couple hours um we had 
uh, animatronic tails that had a gigantic battery shoved right up their crotch. Um, <laughs> and we, you know, we only made four demons. There was wow. only there's there's a there's two days of background demons, which are um, a bunch of ladies in like really loose background demon looks. If you look carefully, you'll notice that they're just slightly different. Um, but just the way that we shot it and um, the fact that we kept reusing them in different ways, there's really only four. Wow. <laughs> and we did it that way. And so the designs kind of came out of the 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 reason, the, the fact that we didn't have any money, and the fact that uh, we had these guys in our shop that were – Half the halfway there, and uh, and then it was just a matter of finding. You know, now we we had the two lead ones, which those guys, Josh uh, Patton and Walter Phelan, you know, really kicked ass in that thing. They they since they worked at the shop, we could have them rehearse on the leg extensions all day long, you right. know, so they could develop their leg muscles. And they really figured it out. They're very actually very athletic, even though they're very uh, skinny. And then we just had to find uh, two stunt people. And so we had we had underwear casting sessions, <laughs> classic Hollywood style. And uh, we'd bring all these people in there, and they were like, "Okay, give us your best monster pose." And they would like go totally naked, except for their little g strings or whatever. And that's how we got the other two, which was Kate Kimlin and I'm trying to remember the other guy. I'm sure your fans will IMDb me uh, here, but anyway, that's that's demon Knight characters. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. What yeah, a great cool. story again. Yeah, and <laughs> Walt and Josh, I think, went on to be uh, very similar-looking demons in Dust of Dawn, actually. If oh, you watch really? Dust of Dawn, I know for a fact that Walt's in there. Uh, and that's all K&B stuff, but it was always like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I've seen these guys, and, and they actually do look somewhat related to the demons in that, so it's kind of cool. Oh, that's super cool. Um, another big one uh, we'd like to talk about is it was one that was shot here in Vancouver and that is uh, of course uh, Slither directed by James Gunn I remember that movie <laughs> yeah and that was uh, from 2006 and wow. um, there is some crazy monsters in this one so right. um I guess we'll just separate them. Let's first of all let's uh, <laughs> take them one by one. All right, let's sure. Let's talk about the Brenda monster. Oh, how could we not? So the Brenda monster is a it's like basically a giant ball with a head sticking out of it. James's idea. <laughs> the uh, Brenda really, monster is pretty epic. <laughs> it's very epic, and it's funny because uh, James and I and Dan Rebert, who was my co-designer on the show and supervised uh, the LA shop on Slither, uh, with all his amazing materials and stuff. Um, so I was kind of taking care of the Vancouver shop. I was flying back and forth and overseeing the whole thing, but a lot of the production, you know, the design, all that was happening here in Vancouver. Um, Dan was taking care of the LA shop, which at that point had to expand into a, an airport hangar across the street. And we were just getting kind of ridiculous with all this stuff. So James was really into this like perfectly round ball. Isn't it like Rob Dahl's hundred birthday today? I think it is actually. So he wanted, is it really? kind of, I think it is. And so he really kind of wanted the, <laughs> the tick bug, you know, the, the James and the giant peach oh, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. And we kept arguing with him. That it would have weight and mass and it would sag. And Bernie Eichholz was the supervisor of that one, of that actual gag. And he did an amazing job. Um, but he had a lot of weird challenges that had to be overcome. And they were almost endless. Um, but since it's Bernie, he kind of just kicked ass and just kept going. One of them was the actress that they had cast, Brenda James, um, had only read the first part of the script. And she had no idea about the rest oh, of the story. No. <laughs> and she was flown to L.A. for her life casting. 
and um, was you know literally like walking around the makeup room down in Los Angeles uh, Masters Effect Shop and um, said, I don't know why you guys need to mold me, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm just doing this. And, and like, did you read the whole script? <laughs> I mean, you know, you're kind of the thing, right? And in our, this was just in our offices. She walks out into the, uh, the shop area. We have a mock-up of this 16 by 15 diameter, a massive thing. It was kind of like one of those carnival things. You just stick your head in. You know, it was just two-dimensional at this point. And she almost fainted when she saw that. Oh. She's like, holy shit, is that going to be me? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> So <laughs> we had those things going on. Um, and she, I don't know if she was ever comfortable with the, the fact that she had the crawl through her own ass to get into uh, the makeup. She literally, this thing's a huge ball. We actually uh, had a team measure the overpasses between L.A. and Vancouver so we could figure out how big to make it. Because obviously we're not going to move an overpass, right? We have, wow. to, we have to truck this fucker. It's not going to fit in a plane. Um, we have to figure out a way to get it from here to there. It's not going to be in two pieces. It's a big round thing. So we measured all the overpasses and... Um, we got it to the exact height that it needed to be to get to the oh Vancouver. And so that was kind of the parameters for Bernie. It's like, hey, Bernie, uh, now that we don't have any time left, make this thing around a lady who doesn't want to be in it and has to be this size and all that. And he was still able to pull off a pretty impressive piece. Uh, Brenda did, I think, eventually puke in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maybe Bernie did, too. Right? <laughs> she probably puked, too. <laughs> so, but it was, it was quite the thing. I, I, I don't know if Guinness has this page in their book, but I can't imagine any larger prosthetic than that. I, I, that was got to be the record keeper. So how, t- how big six, did it end six, up being? 16, uh, shit. We still have her, actually. Really? Yeah, I'm actually going to install her. <laughs> Maybe this is a story for after the conversation because I, I have some announcements I'm not announcing yet. But we're we're doing some art stuff in Seattle that uh, she'll be making an appearance. Nice. <laughs> she still exists. She's in my storage unit. So oh great. She's like I think she's like 14 feet high or 13 feet high, 12 feet high, something like that, and then 16 wide and 14 back, and literally you do have to open up the butt cheeks. And you know, go inside. The really, thing. it's just bizarre. So was it? Did it, it was it like a? It was like a giant puppet, like an yeah. animatronic. Yeah, it's like a. It's like a gigantic igloo with flesh. You know, because it's it's all armature. You could live in there. I mean, you literally could live inside Brenda. And so her hands are way out from. You know, she couldn't operate her own hands. So we had puppeteers in there operating her hands because they're spread out. You know, so far apart. Like with the in there with the actress. Yeah. yeah. Wow. We we all had to crawl in the ass to be inside Brenda. I think it was the butt. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Whoa. Oh and, and and you trucked it across country on a flatbed, right? A, uh, a low flatbed, boy right? flatbed. It had to be a low boy. We had to get it right out on the on the freeway. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be driving. You imagine the look she got. If that Can you imagine the immigration and customs? They're like, uh, oh. what do you got in the box, sir? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you crawl in the ass to find out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> At least I think it's the ass. Uh, hilarious. Yeah, uh, our day our day job's not that uh, boring. <laughs> we actually have a pretty weird every day. <laughs> Um, the second uh, big monster from Slither is, of course, uh, the Grant monster, which is uh, played by uh, <laughs> good old him outside or part of yeah, him. Yeah, we out saw there. part of him outside, yeah. played by good old Michael Rooker. Yep. Um, so, would you like to talk a little bit about him? Absolutely not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see Rook, um, which is seems to be often because I do a lot of movies with him, um, uh, he always goes, "Hey." <laughs> 
Hey, hey! I'm pointing and tapping on my my collarbone because uh, uh, apparently I um, I have uh, changed his physiology, which I gotta say actually is helping him because look at his career; he's taken off. You know, so ever since I broke Rooker, he's a better man. I broke Rooker. No, uh, Michael is uh, an anomaly. I love him. He is. Uh, he's got to be one of the most interesting people I've ever met. Uh, he's a good buddy. Uh, we have done quite a few things. We just uh, we've got the Belco experiment that's just uh, been purchased at TIFF recently, which is uh, James Gunn's first script that he wrote. I, I yeah. believe we're we're both pretty excited about yeah. that. It, it's pretty crazy. So Rooker's in that, and uh, we all went down to Bogota, Colombia, and you know Rooker showing up in Bogota is like oh my god. <laughs> I think I actually left the day before he showed up just he just up, in case. Lock up your daughter. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that, but he's. He's quite an interesting dude, and I mean, even in America, he's an interesting dude. So, um, but yeah, uh, we did both the visual effects and the practical effects on that one, and so Rooker gets a bit of treatment that I'm sure I can't say, but uh, he's he's an awesome part of that show. That's great. And uh, also another award that you guys won for Slither was the Saturn Award. Yeah, that was really uh, cool. Yeah, The Saturn is a very rare trophy in the sense that uh, and I hate to break the spirit of anybody loving movies and all that, but every award that's out there is kind of sort of, um, I don't want to say bot, but it's to get an Emmy, for instance, you have to go through this whole ordeal of you have to apply and you have to do this and that. And there's a certain amount of, you know, that old adage, uh, sometimes getting through life is just showing up. So if you want an Emmy or if you want an Oscar or if you want any of these things, you actually have to go way out of your way to do the application, to get everybody on the ticket, to pay for the stuff to maybe market it, this or that. The Saturn Awards are the one that is not like that. And it's, the, I think, the only one. I, I can't think of, actually, another award that's treated the same way. And the difference is the Saturn is actually, as I understand it, and maybe someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but as I understand it, it's entirely voted on by the fantasy uh, group that is the Saturn people. And uh, it's a special community that gets together. And they don't, you don't even put your stuff up for nomination. You, you, I didn't find out about the Saturn until someone from Australia called me and told me, hey, congratulations on what? The Saturn! <laughs> what? Uh, the Saturn nomination, I guess it was. And um, when we actually did go to the award show, it was at uh, Universal Studios. Get this. Exactly the same day, the same time that I am across the street in a parking lot um, shooting a film where I'm, I'm cutting off Tom Sizemore's ear. And so Dan Rebert is in the uh, Saturn thing, and he's texting me like, dude, are you going to come to this? Because uh, they're about to get to our categories. Like, I'm cutting Tom Sizemore's ear off. I can't right now. And, and so every time there was like a quick break, I was so close. I could run out of the parking lot, go over there. Hey, how's it going? Hey, and, you know, sip champagne, whatever. And I was totally in my tux the entire time. <laughs> And um, anyway, we eventually won, and I missed the presentation. Dan got it, and I finally made it there afterwards. And, you know, it was cool. We actually won it, but I, I wasn't able to actually accept it. I was covered in uh, Tom Sizemore's ear blood <laughs> and a text. <laughs> and so, but, yeah, that was really cool. And it was uh, because of the, the fact that the Saturns are, you know, done the way they are. It was an incredible honor. I mean, that was really cool that the fans of fantasy actually, you know, gave us a pat on the back there. That was really cool. Yeah, that it does seem like it would be like the award to get as in your in your profession. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Yeah, that's that's definitely one I cherish. You know, that's that's a cool one. Right on. Yeah. 
Um, just briefly going back to Tales from the Crypt Territory. We're going to get into the show a bit as well, but um, sure. I just wanted to briefly talk about uh, Bordello of Blood, um, just because I just heard you talking about this recently at that screening. Um, so how did how did that come about? Because I, I don't believe you were originally on that show. No. Um, <laughs> so this is back when Vancouver was you know still very early in the film business world, and not a lot of shows were shot up here. Um, certainly not like it is today, where everything's shot here. And so Tales from the Crypt had done Demon Knight, and Demon Knight did okay at the box office. I don't think it made anybody super rich, but I don't think there was anything lost. Um, we were supposed to go to New Orleans to do another show called The Big Easy. Uh, I think it was called The Big Easy. Dead Easy. Dead Easy? Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually at the end of uh, Demon Knight. It says, uh, coming up next is uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. some movie you've never seen, but you know, kind of a promise, like we're coming back right, with another right, movie. Like a Bond film or something. Right, yeah. exactly. And so um, that all kind of fell apart pretty fast, and we went really quickly, uh, left-turned it to uh, a very first script of uh, Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis's called Bordello of Blood. They wrote it in college. Oh, great. And, um, you know, those guys have written a lot of stuff together. And so it was immediately like, okay, we're going to do this. And uh, it charted up to Vancouver, and away it went, and I didn't go. Um, I don't. I think it was on something else. And at that time, you know, they were kind of like, uh, we're going to just go. And, you know, not like they owed me anything. And so they hired uh, a local artist and uh, a local crew that was pretty much, you know, a lot of the people that had done um, – x-files at that time it was like mm. kind of that was kind of the current thing and the stuff was okay but it wasn't they, they were having some troubles they, they were really falling behind in a couple things uh, a couple of pieces just weren't up to luster you know it's like these are hollywood producers that are used to you know pretty much the the top-notch stuff and they they started getting a little nervous on a few things and so they started calling me saying hey how do we make blood like Make blood? That's like 101. What are you talking about? Yeah. Why are you, a producer, calling me about making blood? Don't you just buy it or, you know, go get some caro syrup? I mean, and so they started kind of calling me on a regular basis. Like, how do we, you know, how do we make lunch? How do we get our pants on in the morning? Like, all these really <laughs> simple things. And I finally said, what the fuck's going on, you guys? Uh, I, don't, I don't know how to answer these questions. Fly me up there. So I flew up uh, to Vancouver. And the thing was just, it was just kind of falling apart, unfortunately. Dennis Miller uh, was, you know, the lead in the show. And I, I got the impression he didn't really want to do it. And the, just the mood around the whole set was kind of gloomy because it it, it was feeling, I mean, you know, Tales from the Crypt is kind of a B-movie scenario, but you kind of want to doll it up with, you know, something for the current audience. You couldn't just show up with a B-movie, and so that's especially the features. And it was kind of going the other direction, you know, the... Mm. The look of it was just not right. And so then I saw all the monsters and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. And I kind of told Gil, uh, Gil Adler, the director of it and the producer and the writer, I said, don't shoot that. Just don't shoot it. Just don't shoot it. You know, and I told him not to shoot like the Angie have a heart witch and all that because it's like mm. we would be stuck with it then. Why don't we just, you know, we knew already we had to go back and do pickups. Let's just save the ending for L.A. We'll just pick it up there. That didn't happen. We ended up having to kind of figure out how to get Angie from her lovely self into the monster face. And so we had to do all this kind of weird patch stuff. And then we did quite a bit of the bordello sequence, you know, with ballroom blitz and all that. Right. And some of that actually is early practical digital stuff too, working with John Van Vliet. All the um, explosions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. So that was like, you know, Van Vliet and I uh, working on how to set up shots and, you know, stuff like that. And pretty base, you know, basic uh, composites and stuff like that. Right on. Yeah. Great. 
Um, another Vancouver movie that uh, is actually quite recent. Um, you worked with the Saska sisters on uh, American Mary. Yeah. yeah. Um, how was that experience? Um, it was amazing. Um, the, so the Saskas are kind of this, uh, they were, they're now international, but they really are kind of a Vancouver, uh, unique, uh, blend of talents where they're, they're lovely ladies. Um, uh, they, they, <clears throat> they look, you know, very camera ready. They're, you know, they do camera cameos in their own shows, but you know, beyond that, they're just like really bright and have, they write some of the best scripts I read you know, today. I mean, it's every time there's a Saska script, I'm just like, I just want to sit down and just spend two hours with the script uh and they're great directors and now they're game show hosts they're actually doing yeah. uh, elevator for game show network um so when they came in um when i first met them they actually won an online contest we had some goofy masters effects contest that uh, sylvia won i think and they came walking in i had never met them before i'd never heard of them i hadn't even heard of their first movie dead hooker in a trunk and they sit down you know looking as they do and they're they're quite stunners and i just like who the hell are you two? <laughs> and we just started talking you know about this crazy contest that they won which i think was a t-shirt or something from masters of facts it was really lame <laughs> and um they had a script in their hand and i'm like what the hell's that and like, well, we blah, blah, blah. We just, you know, basically their quick pitch was we just escaped film school and we got out with our lives in this one movie and it's got us a certain amount of notoriety and they want to have us do this movie. And it was American Mary. And they did this quick little pitch about it being about body mod and, you know, get a quick summary of that world. And um, it's like, oh, shit, I have never done anything about body mod. This is totally new. It's not a zombie. It's not a gorilla. It's not a pumpkin. It's not an alien. You know? Yeah. And um, I said, yeah, let me read it. And they're like, oh, really? And so, of course, they came to bring it to me. I didn't know that at the time. And I read the script that night. I'm like, damn, who are these chicks? <laughs> this is a really good script. And so we just started talking about it and developing it. And they had hooked up with these um, <coughs> losers that uh, were going to make this movie. <laughs> and um, I could kind of see that, you know, the things were going to get a little weird in the sense that, you know, there's certain characters on the show that just weren't taking them seriously. And, you know, it, it read like a real movie. And so we really worked hard on making that, uh, the movie we wanted to make it, you know, despite some of the <coughs> losers, um, <laughs> that we, uh, we actually kind of made this thing. And it was so much fun kind of saving this little baby of theirs and turning it into a really cool art film that we said, shit, we got to do this more often. And we became instant friends and we've pretty much done everything they've done with some small exceptions. Um, and we have a couple things in development with them now. And, uh, they're, to me, I think they're like the hottest property going in Vancouver or not. These girls are talented. And so we have a lot of fun, you know, making movies. They actually kind of gave me a kind of a reinvigoration of this business. I mean, it's really easy to get like just sour and bitter after doing so many decades of four in the morning, you know, yeah. and all that. And it's tough. You know, there's a lot of competition and, you know, you got to make things look right. And it's CG world as well. So, these two came back in, you know, almost like a, a new uh, inspiration for this uh, this film business. So it was cool. So we're actually, we have a lot of fun making stuff together now. So American Mary, uh, we showed it at, uh, I, I took it to L.A. Uh, we had a screening um, down there. We showed a bunch of producer friends that we knew. And they, all of them came up afterwards and said, where the hell did this movie come from? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. we only had $10 million. And they're like, you only had $10 million for that? That thing looks like a $20 million movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. We only had $16 million. I'm like, 16 What? And we literally did it for under a million dollars. And everybody just was like, no way. 
And so you, we couldn't tell them the truth. Well, that was 16 million and change, you know, something like that. And it really kind of caught fire. And those ladies' careers are cooking. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a really, uh, it's a really great story. Just how they've how they've been moving up. And it's, they're continuing. I mean, it's just amazing. Every everything they do is just uh, really fun. Right on. Um, just going back to um, TV land for a minute here. Um, so Tales from the Crypt, you worked on, you said you worked on pretty much every season except for the third one or the first one. Well, okay. So the first season, if I don't know what you call a season, because the first season was only a few episodes. I think it was only like five or six. Right. And so I actually made the crypt. That was my first job in Tales of the Crypt was sculpting the crypt. Oh, wow. And because um, I knew the art director... Uh, that was on the show, and he needed somebody to sculpt all these rocks, and I wasn't doing anything at the time. And uh, he said, oh, you should do this. And I was kind of known for doing some of that type of work. And so we pounded out the crypt, and uh, it seemed like every so often Joel Silver would come over and and say this or that, and I'd start talking to him because I knew him through some other people. And, you know, we would kind of start creating more and more stuff, and I kept going to Joel and a few of the other producers like, I don't really do this. You know, I'm actually a monster maker. I don't, I just sculpt rocks on the side. And, um, as the first season, uh, the makeup effects were handled pretty much by everybody had done except for me. Then the second season came around. I think that's when we started, you know, I literally like managed to schmooze my way to the, the right person. And they gave us a try on, I think it was called fitting punishment. And they really liked that stuff, and they kept giving us more and more. And so eventually it just became like years doing it all. So, um, But, you know, it was a great company to be with. I mean, everybody at the time did a Tales from the Crypt, at, you know, for those first little bits. And then we eventually just wormed our way in there and locked the door. No. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, uh, you know, obviously they went uh, elsewhere for Bordello, and they also went to uh, London for the last season, which we didn't have anything to do with. That was right. all them, not me. Any uh, favorite episodes? Uh, I you know, I, I actually haven't watched a lot of them in a while. Um, I, I love the Bill Friedkin episode. Um, what was it? Under Skin or something? It was there's the Billy Friedkin episode is really cool. Um, there's a great Gary Fleeter episode uh, called Forever Ambergris, which was uh, Roger Daltrey and Steve Buscemi. That's got a lot of great effects in it, uh, and it's a good episode. Um, um, boy, uh, Gil directed a couple great ones. Uh, there's a, the classic Tim Curry episode where Tim plays every character. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Uh, you know, the whole, the whole thing, it's, it's kind of hard to ask those questions to me because I, A, I don't watch the stuff much. I, I really actually kind of, I don't necessarily avoid it, but I don't, I don't go out of my way to watch it cause I'm a little too close to it. I'm kind of waiting for retirement or something like that. <laughs> you know, I'll just sit down and watch all this stuff and it's just, it'll be new to me. And you know, right now I still kind of remember the budgets and the the memos and the headaches yeah. and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's pretty cool to be part of that whole thing, the Tales from the Crypt world. Well, especially with just all of the people that worked yeah. on that show, actors and directors yeah. and everyone else. And yeah, it was really my film school. I mean, I was I was pretty close to being right off the turnip truck when I started uh, Tales. And um, I met everybody. And it's so funny because now we're, you know, decades later, I'm still working with, all those directors and all those people I worked with back then. And they kept kind of after tales, they would kept calling us in and stuff. And like Gary Fleeter, I would do like, I think I did almost everything at Gary's for the longest time. And uh, a bunch of other directors, they just kept like, Oh yeah. You know, Russell McKay, and a bunch of them would just, mm -hmm. you know, constantly like, you know, bring you back in the loop. And uh, it was a really good way to kind of get introduced to 
pretty much half of Hollywood. It's great. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, another show that you've been working on that's been keeping Masters Effects quite busy recently is True Blood. Yeah. 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 Well, not anymore. I mean, it's no. gone now. Yeah, it's but, gone you know, up, yeah. but up until well, yeah, a couple of years ago, it was, like, right. it was good five that or six was, years. Yeah, that was keeping the L.A. shop really pumping for a while. Um, lots of fangs. <laughs> a lot of fangs, a lot of blood puddles. And, uh, yeah, that was a fun show. Great. Um, just a couple more I just want to sort of um, go through really quick just because um, they might be interesting. But um, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Um, not my favorite of the Elm Street movies. What? <laughs> oh, I'm so but, offended. But, but Greta is our favorite death. <laughs> Gre- Greta's cool. Erica Anderson, she's awesome, isn't she? Yeah. So was that your uh, was that the extent of your work on that, or did you no. do the whole show? <laughs> um, okay, well, Nightmare on Elm Street five. So I did a little work on Nightmare on Elm Street four, not much, but they asked me to do some designs, and it kind of got me. You know, I, I was really early, really early starting off back then, so it wasn't like you know well known. Um, but I got my foot in the door, and so when number five came around. Um, they asked me to come in and you know bid on stuff, and that, for whatever reason at that time, they were really keen on having multiple makeup effects shops doing uh, nightmares. Like every every shop would take a particular nightmare episode. You know that was just kind of the way they thought was most efficient. To me, it sounds kind of crazy, but that's what we did back then. It's actually the first time I ever heard about K and B. Was it the Nightmare Five? Right. They said you're doing this sequence. K and B is doing this, and I'm like, who? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, you know, it was, it was. I think they used their. They didn't call them K and B. They called them uh, Burger and Nectar or something like that, uh, or Kurtzman or something. And uh, yeah, this this group's doing this one. This group's doing this one, and this group's doing that one. And okay, great. And so we did our Greta sequence, um, the big fat cheeks, and the uh, somewhere I have a video of how we did that because it was uh, we only had so much time between prosthetic changes, and we wanted stage one, stage two, and I didn't really want to do a big bladder face because I was getting kind of crazy. And so we came up with a system of snap-on prosthetics. <laughs> Believe it or not, <laughs> wow, we made snap-on prosthetics for, her. and so we could switch stages out really fast, and it actually worked really well. Um, and Erica Anderson, who plays um, Greta, uh, was awesome. She's so much fun. She's still a good friend of mine today. And um, we got through all that whole sequence, had a blast with you know scooping out the doll and all that kind of stuff. And after we were done with that and it all went great, um, the visual effects guy, uh, Alan Moreau, came up to me and says, Hey, um, you know, we're going to do some pickups and uh, maybe you could do this for us. And it was like, okay. So all of a sudden we're doing this other part of the show, which was like another effects company's group, but it, we're just doing like pickups for them. So we're like, wait a minute, what, what, this is kind of weird for me. I feel like I'm in someone else's bed. <laughs> and anyway, we ended up doing pretty much every dream, uh, one bit here, one bit there. And it just kept going for months. And we were doing pickups on that show. So I haven't seen it in a while, but I'm pretty sure we're kind of all through that show now. Um, so a lot of his stuff was, uh, shot over at Ted Ray's little studio. He had a little animation thing going on. And so some of that was in there and I worked with him quite a bit. I have to watch that movie again. Is that out? Actually, that is on DVD, I think, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a pretty good box set actually. That's pretty reasonable. I'll have to check it out. It's been, it's been a long time. So (laughs) maybe that is one I will watch before I'm dead. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow. Just got dark. (laughs) 
These guys aren't drinking enough, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. You have, to drink, you have to drink a lot for Nightmare 5. Yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there's some cool, like, mad shots. That Escher thing was kind of trippy, as I remember. I mean, there was some nice uh, ideas. Freddy Cycle. Yeah, okay, I did. There, I actually played Freddy uh, in uh, the Freddy Cycle. Oh, really? Oh. I, got, I got cut out. Uh, but there was a point um, where we had to redo the – because he came out of the tear, tear deck or tear deck, whatever the gas tank thing is called. Yeah. I, don't, I don't ride motorcycles. Um, <laughs> the thing. That thing between your legs. So, uh, yeah, there was a point where the kid looks down and the gas can is, or the gas tank's turned into Freddy's yeah, face. Yeah. And so that was me for a couple minutes and then they got cut. <laughs> oh, that could have been your big break. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, funny. They're, they could have cast you instead of Jackie Earl Haley in the remake. Yeah, maybe. She's... Yeah, don't bring up the remake, dude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good old Robert England. He's always he's always fun to work with. Um, another one I haven't seen, but um, I I've seen the trailer and stuff, and I I, I know it was shot here as well. But it, it's always kind of intrigued me. Is one called the Thaw? Ah, the uh, Thaw. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, and it's yeah. about a it's about a woolly mammoth gets mm-hmm. discovered, and then uh, people bugs and yeah, yeah looks kind of actually kind of slitherish in the concept it's a very dark more serious kind of movie but yeah yeah it's not a bad movie actually those guys uh it was not a huge budget and they they did some really good things in it um i don't think it did much at all uh, in terms of release i don't think you're the only one that didn't see it yeah Um, it was a ghost host release i believe so yeah yeah um yeah some we did some great effects in it um a lot of you know really gross bug things you know there's a there's an old um, New Line um, mantra that was, uh, what's the difference between scary and gross? And you're supposed to go, what? And the, what? the answer, thank you, <laughs> thank you. The answer, and this is back then, so I'm sure it's changed. The, the answer is $20 million. Because the executives, some, you know, they would kind of like go, okay, if our movie is releasing uh, this Friday, what's the take going to be on Monday? And if it was a, a scary movie, like a horror, horror movie rather than a gross movie, it would do $20 million better than a gross movie. And so a lot of people that say things like The Thaw and even Slither didn't do well because they have a gross element to it, which for you filmmakers out there that are trying to market your stuff, uh, gross isn't sexy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird thing that New Line used. And New Line used to be the king of you know horror films at the time. So that, that was kind of a thing. You'll notice a lot of New Line pictures are not gross. They're scary. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, I think I like gross better. You know, that's kind of debatable because, like, Slither's got some moments that are kind of gross, but they're still kind of entertaining. Yeah. I don't know about the thaw. The thaw is kind of gross, and it just kind of makes you want to start scratching yourself, <laughs> which is just like, well, I don't know if I need that. But anyway, so it's just a movie, kids. It's just a movie. Um, great. And uh, yeah, another big one, that um, a big TV show that you worked on was Carnival, which always uh, kind of struck me with just with the set design and yeah. everything about it. Just Fun uh, show great show that i really wish had uh, gone on longer and uh were you were heavily involved with the whole show or was it just one season i think we just did season one on that um we did gecko and some siamese twins and or, or yeah and i don't know just your random mutations uh good show um you know all these shows are always so tricky to put together because that was an HBO show, I think. Was it Showtime or HBO? HBO. HBO. Yeah. And that shot down in L.A., which, of course, we don't do that anymore. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's just kind of this thing. It's uh, Some shows really hit in a certain way. Like, I think the first season of that hit differently than the second season. I'm not just saying because of us, but it just seemed to have a different tone in a way. Um, 
don't know. It's fascinating. We do so many different television shows that we actually get to enjoy the differences of production just by individuals. You know, like we, right now we've got like 12 shows going on right now. And each production, of course, is the only production we're doing. But each production is, you know, got their own thing, their own vibe going on. And it really does translate to screen. And so when you go to meetings and you have design concepts, you know, like this one, every show has to have its own individuality. And like this, this wouldn't work in Slither, for instance. I'm showing a picture of a, a witch for a show we're doing right now, which is, you know, obviously your your archetypal witch. Yeah. But you wouldn't see this in, like, The Thaw, or you wouldn't see right. this in this movie or that movie. So you have to kind of feel the pulse of each script. You have to feel the vibe of each director. Try to get in their head, understand their words, because um, oftentimes directors have the whole thing in their head, but they can't get it out of their mouths. You know, it's like the, whatever the vision is going on in their head, you know, that's the reason we make motion pictures is because they will tell the story for the words. Right. But it's very important to kind of figure out how and what works for these groups of people. And that will tone your movie. And so we like to use, you know, tons of photoshops and concepts and colors and samples and tests to try to get closer to that. And a lot of times, um, we'll even shoot our own stuff, you know, and, and show up because these these are people that speak in the language of moving pictures. So sometimes even this isn't right. enough, right? So that's why they have like you know what do they call it uh, uh, previs. Never figured out what it is before you visit. What is the pre part? Uh, if uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he's looking at me like he's expecting me to know. If well, I want you to know these. You know, it's, it's you just, need to have these skills that Todd's. It just cracks about me up when people say, "I want a previs." Okay, I visited, it, but what's before the viz? Anyway, I'll give you a post viz. The pre pre. Anyway, so it's really important for all these shows to have kind of their own, you know, signature, their own identity. Um, on Slither, um, Slither obviously has its own look, right? We're shooting something in the middle of the night, um, freezing cold. James Gunn yells from across the set, Masters, why the hell does everything look like a tit or a dick or a <laughs> vagina on this movie? <laughs> and I like, he's like literally yelled that to me across the set. And I'm like, hi, James, what's going on? <laughs> so I went over there and it just happened to be, I mean, the, very day that he asked this question just happened to be the day that we're shooting the yellow organism at the beginning of the movie and in the script the script that he wrote it <laughs> describes it and it says in the script let's just face it it literally says this let's just face it it looks like a gigantic yellow vagina <laughs> i pointed this to james i'm like dude i didn't write that i'm like making your vision <laughs> anyway but you you know that's kind of it and, and actually it's kind of funny. There's a lot of times, I mean, James is a perfect example. I mean, he wrote this and he had it in his head, maybe on a subconscious level, but the whole movie is about sex. You know, Slither is basically mm. about, you know, fucking somebody else and being guilty about it and all that stuff. So in a way, we kind of did want to make the visuals very sexy. Right. Sexist? Sexual. <laughs> Sexy-like. <laughs> Sexy time. Yeah, and we use lots of KY jelly. Um, Especially on the bathtub seat. That's right. But no, you know what I mean? I mean, you got you to gotta make the whole movie... The whole movie has got to be one. It can't be this monster and that monster and that monster and this monster. You're going to have to come all together, you know. There's a reason that the parasites look like penises. There's a reason that the big yellow vagina is actually a big yellow vagina in the script, you know. 
I'm now, just saying how it is. Now man. I'm going to totally go watch that movie and have a different perspective. There's there's a <laughs> lot of well, I mean that's it. I mean there's a lot of subtle subtext to design, and you want to kind of, you know, uh, I always try to tell our artists that we're court jesters. You know, we have this court jester thing going on, um, where it it is essentially like being in a kingdom dancing about with you know colorful puppets and shit like that <laughs> and telling a story in an abstract way that's still hammering home what you want to hammer home but your head's not going to get cut off at the end of the day you know you didn't tell too much right so you didn't like go up and say you know Donald Trump sucks or whatever you whatever you really want to say you just came up with a puppet show to express that and you still went home with your head that's what artists are that's what film artists are that's what monster makers are we really need to you know use these skills this great talent that we have uh for better good <laughs> like vagina slugs oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if you look at anything we've done we're trying to actually you know put a little art in the eyeball absolutely um, sometimes we fail but <laughs> you know we at least try <laughs> So on that note, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> how has it been, um, you know, over the last 20 years, I mean, pretty much in the entire existence, there's been a transition um, from practical to more digital. Um, now, you've been able to find a way to marry the two, but, mm-hmm. you know, there's other shops that have been um, changing, you know, and, and, you know, Rick Baker's a great example, like just of how he's chosen to retire and um i believe when that happened you know it was the shop had been scaled down quite a bit because of workload i believe and well, he hadn't had a job in a while yeah I mean, rick had this massive facility in, in right in the middle of glendale burbank and um i mean it was just incredible and you know rick rick baker uh, multi-oscar winner um you know pretty much invented this uh this business along with dick smith and a couple others and, you know, had done it all. And I don't think there was an award left that he hadn't won. And yeah. He, you know, Rick's, Rick's a phenomenon. And uh, I told him that his work should be in, like, you know, MoMA. I mean, I love yeah. that your stuff's on the screen. Yes. But you are at the point. I mean, as a painter, that dude is amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, as a sculptor, holy crow. And he's still doing it. Um, he just doesn't have the overhead anymore. And, you know, it's just the reality of this business. I mean, Underworld's a great example. We've got Underworld number 75 coming out in January. <laughs> and um, there are practical lichens. I don't think I can tell you that. So please erase that last part. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, there are practical lichens in it, but there's also a lot of, you know, computer-generated stuff. And it's just kind of how this thing has gone. I personally have opinions on that. I kind of think that a lot of CG could pull you out of a movie and all of a sudden you're watching a really nicely done cartoon. Um, No disrespect to the artists out there that do the CG stuff because there's amazing CG work done. Um, It's just, I think everybody knows that when you're watching a movie and the creature's not actually there on stage, even the people that don't even know what See how to spell CG, right? They they don't know the, all the technical stuff that goes in it. They know that it wasn't actually there. There's something in their subconscious. You know, it's like we always use the analogy: like if, if you have a caveman being attacked by a saber toothed tiger, and you're just down to the point where he's about to eat his head, you go, "Oh, here's a photo of a saber toothed tiger." <laughs> Be scared. <laughs> you know, it's kind of the same thing in a yeah. way. I mean, there's something carnal about. You know, you know that that werewolf's not gonna bite your head off because it's just made of pixels. I know, and I know that a lot of uh, fans of this business know, and, I, and there's a lot of people that really appreciate the practical efforts. So we're really trying to retain it. I mean, we have a digital department as well, 
and we love mixing mediums. Um, but it's really tough for us to just do full-on computer-generated stuff, even though it might be the most logical way. We know that that's still going to bump somebody out there, that you know, this was artificial. And you know, we all go to movies to escape. You know, we don't go to movies to just get more pixels rubbed in our faces, you know. So I, I really think that there's ways to do it um, where you're using all the tools. You know, CG, great tool. Clay, monsters, other practical world, great tool. You know, use them all. Why are we throwing the baby with the bathwater? I always it, said you know? CG should be an enhancer and not a be-all, end-all. A lot of people think that way. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm producing a movie right now where we have to kind of like, balance you know what we're doing practically what we're doing digitally what we're doing in every aspect of it and so it's you have to kind of like sample it all and hopefully there's the producers are you know hiring somebody that you know does have experience on both sides because it does matter i mean if obviously the guy is selling pixels he's going to tell you a pixel solution you know we we always joke about there's there's a script out there that goes to a monster shop you know rubber shop and goes to a practical shop and rubber guys are gonna say oh it's all rubber (laughs) the practical (laughs) the digital guys are gonna say oh it's all digital that's not the best way to do it that doesn't really help your production as much as it should you should you should i would hope have people that have a good knowledge base for um for both and try to use it and there's Actually, quite a few shows and filmmakers that are thinking this way. It's not maybe as common as, you know, pushing the button for everything, uh, as it seems. But, like, for the show we do called Magicians on Sci-Fi Network, um, those guys love their practical stuff. And it just works for that show. It just fits. There's a ton of digital in it as well. And we have a great visual effects producer on it, Jay Worth, who we worked with uh, on Fringe uh, really closely. And so we speak the same language. On Fringe, we're constantly going back and forth. It's a little practical. It's a little digital. A little this. And we would mix it so you guys, audience members and all that, hopefully wouldn't pick up on it. Obviously, it's you know it's always tricky to slide a trick in. But um, if it's if it actually feels there, not only does the audience get it, but the you know people on stage get it. The directors can direct it. It just becomes more part of the the cinema moment rather than shoot a plate and we'll patch this in later. It's it, that's enough to drive uh, filmmakers, actors, and directors pretty nuts. You have to be really skilled to be able to perform convincingly to something that's not there. You know, uh, we like to show up with you know suits. Yeah. You know, something that, okay, maybe I'm, I'm pointing to a 15, what is that, maybe 12 feet high character that we created for Falling Skies. Um, you know, TV's the hardest place to slide practical stuff in, I think. Um, but if you can think outside the box, if you can come in with answers instead of problems, or if you have problems, know how to communicate them so you can get somebody to help you. I mean, our shop's great. We can actually fix our own stuff here. You know, having a CG department exactly. that can kind of go behind you and go, okay, here you go. It's the whole thing. It really makes it more robust. Um, we did a werewolf sequence for Hemlock Grove where we did the whole, you know, soup to nuts. Uh, practical all the way to digital. And we really cl- clever how we mixed it and blended it. And it's it, it got us nominated for a Visual Effects Society Award up against like Game of Thrones with like 100 times our budgets and stuff like that as best visual effects. And it was like amazing that we even got that far. And the, the Visual Effects Society would recognize something that was so practical. Um, Rick Baker actually even asked me how I did it. I'm like, oh, wow. Rick Baker asked me how I did something? That's amazing. And, uh, yeah, he actually uh, he was very impressed by it. And it was a bit of a you know werewolf transformation. You can't help but think of American Werewolf in London. So it was a bit of a tip of the hat to him. 
And uh, that was kind of that was a that was better than an Oscar. It's like oh, Rick Baker just asked me how I did something. Like a, That's pretty a, cool. It's like a throwback to your youth. He calls you at three in the morning. Yeah, so, uh, how <laughs> yeah, you exactly, that? exactly. I'm sure Rick's going to call me at three in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Nice rim shot. <laughs> I think it is a bit of an interesting time, too, with this all, because um, I felt like there was a period where things were going really, really CG. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. it seems like a lot of, like, well, not a lot, but there are some directors that, you know, grew up, like when Chris and I grew up, that loved practical effects. Guillermo del Toro, you know, the Nolan Brothers, yeah. you know, there's a lot of them. Even, like, sure. Adam Wingard. Like, Adam, These, yeah. like, kind of old school, like, not old school, but they're going a little old school yeah. um so i think that's maybe changing things a little bit too and yeah. i'm really hoping these guys are more successful yeah yeah it's funny you know like i said we we do tv features all sorts of stuff um i think we've been busier this year than we've been in a long time yeah that's because fantastic. yeah and part of it is because we speak that language we can kind of go in with a plan you know, we fortunately have a bit of a reputation doing this kind of stuff now. So people kind of go, oh, okay, maybe we'll listen. You know, it's, it's, we, we may not be right all the time. We come up with creative ideas like everybody else. Ours are pretty much out of the box because sometimes you show up with stuff, sometimes you don't, and sometimes you patch it up later. Um, but it's, it, it is kind of um, creating a, a new look, you know, breaking away from that CG thing. I mean, fuck, it's 2016. Why are we still watching video games on screen? Exactly. You know, come yeah. on. I mean, things things should look real. They should feel real. And that's the benefit of practical. I mean, it looks real because it is real. Problem with practical is it sometimes doesn't move as the way you want it or requires tons of puppeteers or whatever the thing is. There are solutions to it. And the cool thing about the practical digital handshake is sometimes the assets of one are the liabilities of the other. So, like, you know, practical stuff looks great and, and feels real because it is. But can't move, so you can add some CG to it, and you can actually bring it to life in a different way that most people didn't think about. So there's cool things like that, and it's really just a matter of just dipping into it and doing it. Uh, if there's you know filmmakers out there that are making their own stuff, um, there's obviously a lot of opportunities in CG world. But I mean, by mixing these things, you know, even at the base level, you can make some really cool shit. Right on. Well, well and the best thing about that is just what you were talking about earlier is that. You know, having that mixture, as a f- film watcher, and you have the CG there, you're going to know. Yeah. But, but when you're watching something practical, you're getting a genuine reaction from that performer. Because, yeah. you know, a lot of times you guys might have, you know, something like this big dark, Fallen Skies guy, and the actor may not have seen that. Yeah. Bring it on the set. They're freaking the fuck out. Yeah. That, you're going to see that when you're watching the so- product. You're like what, 21, 19, 18? Oh, thanks, thanks. Okay. We're all nice. we're all about that same age. We're all pretty young ladies. Yeah, we're, it's, it's, <laughs> you can't. You know, we 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 actually have faces, not just and, for radio. And we've got twelve packs, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, I got fourteen. Oh, <laughs> always have to be a one up. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to digress. But I mean, my point is, is that you know, uh, I was being sarcastic. People, we're actually a little older. Um, <laughs> but when when the youngins come around and they get off my yard, my my yard, my lawn. Um, but when the young people come around and have not experienced the generation stuff that we've gone through they're seeing this stuff for the first time and they're blown away which is really cool they're actually bored by the cg stuff they're like blown away like how did you what did you whatever because it it is so unique to them to us i mean it to us it's almost like a returning back to to them they were never there (laughs) so it's like this i'm so happy i was there i am too but you know what i mean it's really an interesting kind of because i kind of thought it was going to go the other way i thought maybe people would just start like they're 
the way they saw images would change and digital would suddenly be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it is for some people, but it seems like there people actually give a shit. Well, it's, it's, you just get more of a of a resonation and a personal reaction to practical, I find, over CG. Because if you're watching a movie and something CG, you can be like, oh, this shading looks a little off to yeah. me or something. Oh, just like, yeah. This just isn't working for me. Whereas you could try out something you've gotten display in the shop here and be like okay that's cool yeah i'm good with this yeah and i i'm glad to see it's going back the way like josh said and you know yeah and the other thing i think is really starting to happen is you know i don't think that monster shops are really going to come back the way they were in the 80s and 90s unfortunately but there might be some of that um but because of that this stuff's becoming really rare and so the collecting of it is becoming really a thing too mm-hmm. and you know people get really excited about it i mean they just like like you know walking through here i still get excited like i have a museum yeah. <laughs> you know that's kind of cool <laughs> so great um so i've just got a few more um things to touch on um trying to keep you in uh, in our time frame yeah, whatever yeah you know at some point i have to pee but yeah um <laughs> is there any any gags that you've done that didn't make the final cut that you wish had oh my freddy krueger face for sure <laughs> uh boy um yeah there's tons of that i mean it's just kind of the process of movie making um you know you just you kind of have to make stuff and see it and if it cuts great if it doesn't toss it you know it's yeah. just kind of it um the whole point is not to, you know, glean on a monster or anything like that. It's to, you know, get the story and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm sure there's tons of stuff that we've seen on the cutting room floor. More than just me. Right. Yeah, that's Freddy. Yeah. But that was the biggest <laughs> That was the biggest nightmare, yeah. <laughs> that was the saddest day of my life. <laughs> um, have you ever had a desire to direct a horror film? Uh, yeah, I'm actually an award-winning director, believe it or not. Um, somewhere around here, there's a, an award. There's like this gigantic cow. That's made of like brass or bronze or something like it's the Netherlands Film Festival. I won for best director for a commercial for a World Wildlife Fund commercial I did many years ago. It actually um, final con and uh, there's a bunch of other weird things. This is one of my various lives that I've had, and I've I've directed a lot of second units, you know, uncredited stuff. Oh, okay. um, you know, there's every movie we do or every TV show. Uh, maybe not as much uh, in the television, but a lot of the features, you know, we'll definitely get in. I, I guess actually it's not true. We still, you know, like, I love sitting down and, like, storyboarding a sequence with the director and working with them to try to figure out, you know, how we can kind of communicate and create a sequence or an effect or a design um, that is, you know, original for the film and, you know, kind of an identifier for that. And, um, you know, I, I always feel like I'm very much involved in that creative side. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a couple things that uh, I'm hoping to do. Directing is definitely, you know, one of them. I haven't directed a full film. I've only directed, right. only directed the good parts of some of your worst films. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, another thing that I know has been, um, you've been working on, and I'm not sure where you're at with this, but, um, Dick Smith passed away a couple of years ago and I believe that you were, um, working towards getting him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. I'm just wondering where you're at with that. Well, um, this is kind of a hobby thing in a way because it's not a full-time gig. Uh, Something that should happen, obviously. It definitely needs to happen. Yeah, this is kind of a little awkward um, simply because, you know, we've been trying for so many years to to get Dick Smith a a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. And, you know, like Big Bird has one and uh, O.J. Simpson and, uh, you know, anybody that you can imagine has one except for maybe some of the forefathers of – 
the film business. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Dick Smith, uh, for those that don't know, um, was really the godfather of uh, film makeup effects. He did the Godfather movies as well as uh, Little Big Man and The Exorcist and just tons of stuff that we we all kind of learned off of him. He actually was one of the people that I used to find in the phone books as well. And <laughs> and all of us, J.J. Abrams used to call him, and we all used to, Rick Baker used to call him, and Dick was, you know, mostly patient with us. <laughs> you know, he was sometimes a little harsh. But he was kind of always the guy that, you know, had set the bar. <clears throat> he, uh, before he passed away, um, we started in earnest to, to approach the Chamber of Commerce of Hollywood to, to do this. And I think we're now into our third, it's either a third or fourth two-year thing. Okay, so he passed away in 2013, I believe it was. And um, so I immediately went back to, you know, where we were with the Walk of Fame thing because you put this application in and it just goes into the void and you never hear back from it. You just have to kind of like hope that it's being processed. And so I would call on occasion and say, hey, how's it going? We have this application in, and they would give us updates. And so when when Mr. Smith finally passed away, um, uh, I called him up, and I said, uh, well, uh, we kind of missed it. <laughs> uh, what's next? And they say, well, uh, you have to wait two years before you, or three years, actually. Was it three years? It's Well, basically, it's four. No, it's until it's next year, actually. It's next year. So it's, maybe it's four years. There was a, cer- a certain period of time we had to wait for the last application to be done for us to renew again. And like, what, he's not dead enough? What do you mean? I mean, why do you have to wait? And there was like the, some weird thing in the Chamber of Commerce that a person, when they pass, they – they have to have so many years for them to be eligible again, which wow. I thought was so bizarre. And the other problem is, is that, you know, like Rick Baker got his star not too long ago. Right. And it was yeah. connected to uh, Men in Black Part 3. Mm. Dick, unfortunately, he wasn't doing any of those movies at the end of his career, so there wasn't really that big Hollywood muscle behind him. We managed to raise some money privately, um, and we're ready to go. We just need to get it through the damn Chamber of Commerce. So we do now have some people in the Chamber of Commerce that at least know who Dick Smith was, which is bizarre. I mean, you know, we're geeks, right? We're nerds on this stuff. We know every single piece of sponge rubber Dick Smith made, right? Um, Those guys don't. They don't get it. You know, Rick has been great about it. His wife, Sylvie, has been really great about, you know, pushing. But it's just it hasn't been able to make it through um, whoever's voting over there. So 2017, it starts again. And we're hoping that with having someone on the end, we'll be able to get a little more progress. But still, the problem is, is these guys just, they don't understand that this is actually what it is. So, uh, meanwhile, um, I've been looking at doing something else. Um, I I really want to make the Monster Maker Hall of Fame. And, you know, fuck these guys. Because these are our treasures. You know, okay, you don't know how good he was. That's fine. Um, I do. Yeah, you know, and I know a lot of people that actually give a shit that are, you know, Hollywood Walk of Fame, fine, but unfortunately, it's in fucking Hollywood. It's a yeah. shit town. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know what? Why don't we do something that might be a little more respectful uh, to some of these people? Because it's not just Dick. I mean, um, there are a few makeup artists that have made it to the Hollywood Walk of Fame, but again, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to see the soles of people's shoes that don't give a shit who these people were. Maybe we can find a better way to do it. So that's what I've been working on in my downtime. And I, I do have a couple things that I can announce soon, but I can't announce them yet, um, but are related to that. 
but yeah, as far as the Walk of Fame, I don't see any reason for us not to continue the pursuit, uh, and we will continue to lobby it. Um, but I, I would also like to see something else done. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of like um, if Picasso died, you know, or Michelangelo. I mean, he, Dick was one of those. Yeah, you know, he absolutely. he's not he's not you know just every Dick and Harry, whatever you want to say. I mean, he was literally like the guy that did a huge part of what we do today. And, you know, if if I knew Picasso and he passed away, I'd fucking celebrate him for the rest of my life. You yeah. know, so that's that's where I sit with that. So Great. Well hopefully we'll be hearing something soon. Yeah. About that. Uh, one way or the other. I mean uh, Jill Rockow, who is a big supporter of Dick and helped him a lot in his last few years, she's she's been really great about this. And there's a couple, you know, like I said, Rick and uh, we everybody wants it to happen. I think it's just a matter of, you know, we have to kind of figure out the confusion of uh, the Chamber of Commerce and you know, maybe it's not even where it's at. Is there anything that like our listeners could do to help? There will be. Um, I mean, the way to deal with the Chamber of Commerce is basically that. You know, they need to, I mean, as much as they probably don't like hearing this right now, (laughs) uh, but that's really it. I mean, you know, the reason that Rick got a star is because of Men in Black and the the push behind that. That's obviously cash, too. You know, they want this to be a real event. But I think if there's enough people out there that care, um, you know, that's definitely going to help. Um, the other thing I've got planned, uh, they will certainly appreciate it and enjoy it. And I know that they're out there supporting it. I don't need them to write or call in for that. Uh, I'm going to push that through. Great. Great. Um, on your um, website, on your bio, it talks about, um, how you were, uh, you're a toy designer as well. Oh yeah. Am I down? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't, I didn't know of that. What? (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) We have one around here. Um, okay, well, um, in uh, at the very beginning of this company, um, we're talking like 1985, 86, 80, 80, 80, uh, yeah, I guess it would be 86. Like, I'm just getting the company. Right. So the, the company is going to be 30 next year, so that would be 87. I think that's the official seal. I don't know if I, I'm still working in 86. So, um, And I had this startup little thing, and um, I created um, the sculpture. It was, a, it, was a, it was actually sculpted on a real pumpkin. And I uh, made these weird fucked up faces on it. And I produced them out of foam. And I sent 30 of them off to film studios. I'm, you know, I'm a brand new shop in Sun Valley, California. I'm going to do your monsters. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out some sort of marketing thing. And, of course, I came up with the most ridiculous and most expensive one. Um, but I made these all by hand uh, with my little staff. And we mailed them out to all these, uh, you know, 30 studios waiting for the phone to ring, right? You know. Hello, how can I service you? That kind of thing. I had a whole business card on it and all that. I got 29 phone calls back. All of them not wanting to hire me for effects, but wanting to have more pumpkins. <laughs> so, and, I, and they're like, where did you get these? These are great. And I'm like, uh, I made them. <laughs> and they're like, what? Click. You know, <laughs> they probably went to like the mail room. You know, I, I didn't know who to send them to. I just said, new line cinema. <laughs> no return address. Just go. Anyway, um, the 29 phone calls got me a little intrigued. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's like I wanted a gig out of this. Uh, and I had a friend of mine named Ray Carr who was working for a group um, that was making posters. And they at least had a little touch into retail sales and all that stuff. So we had a meeting with these guys. 
And they said, uh, this is a great idea. Why don't we bring on these other people that I know? And so it was just kind of like who you know kind of thing. And I was like 19 years old or something. And so it just kind of kept going and going and going. I had a shop that I could produce these foam rubber things in so I could actually make um, product samples. They appeared to be product samples. So we suddenly started this thing. We said, well, fuck it. You know, these guys know um, certain people at gift shows through what they do. I can make these things. And, you know, my dad's got a barn. We'll put on a show. (laughs) And so I was actually on a movie in North Carolina when the first show happened at Javits Center in New York City. I was in a lovely movie called Dracula's Widow. And at the end of the day, I know that movie. yeah, Sylvia Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of a long day, covered in fucking blood, I, I was still upstairs in the sh- shop in North Carolina. I get this phone call from one of the guys on the pumpkin staff. He goes, "Dude, first day, hundred thousand sold." And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I'm like, "What are you talking about?" I kind of forgot that it was even happening that day. And I'm like, who is this? Who the fuck? And turns out that, you know, our little samples, like we had sold it literally a bushel full of these things. And the next day and the next day, and they just became kind of this like Nerf foam pumpkin phenomenon. And so 87 and 89, we sold like 6 million of these things. Oh, no, that was just 87. Wow. It's it's all a foggy memory now because everything went to shit after a while. (laughs) Um, so we, these things were, um, like selling out left and right. Uh, we made them out of Ohio. We did a family of eight of them. They're called the O'Lantern family. You can look them up on classictoys.com and all that. They're actually, I actually just got a phone call from someone that, uh, we're, we're bringing them back. And, uh, I I get calls all the time from people going, when are you going to bring these damn things back? (laughs) So we're trying to make a deal right now with somebody to bring it back for the 30th. Um, we've been working on a television special. We tried raising money last year on um, one of the uh, Kickstarter things. and Didn't raise much <laughs> at all. Uh, but it it kind of opened up the interest again. Like all of a sudden, because we have a Facebook page with these things. And all of a sudden, people were posting photos of their collection. Like they bought like every single one we ever made, and they would have like they photos of like twenty of these characters, wow. like, all individual foam pumpkin things, and uh, it was quite the phenomenon. Uh, and a lot of people really loved them, and they're still kind of wondering where the hell they are. And so we're you know we're bringing them back. Um, so it sounds. And uh, when the thing actually did go down back in, um, I guess it would have been eighty nine. Um, the, the company, you know, ended up not paying me a certain chunk of my royalties on it. I got the license back. The company went into bankruptcy. I hired, uh, this lady named, uh, Hillary Rodham from the Rose Law Firm, uh, later to be named Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> she was my attorney on it for a while. Seriously? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, it, fortunately I pulled out of that. I could have been like a scandal. I could have been like Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> um, but yeah, she actually asked for too much money and I click <laughs> couldn't do it i'm like i'm just a kid i'm 19 years old you can't do this to me um yeah it took forever to get it back and um we have and uh, we're gonna try it again i mean so yeah i i know we have one around here somewhere you're probably gonna go oh but yeah we we're like in time magazine and mtv and wall street wow. journal and it was just like this weird little everybody compared it to the cabbage patch dolls you know where it's like that's, that's what i've been thinking yeah. cabbage patch yeah dolls, or dolls pet rock or whatever yeah. like that yeah so they were all over the states forever uh well actually they're still floating there's still a bunch around the factory in ohio is now closed but when, I, when it was open 
uh, when they were running these things, there's a certain amount of uh, rejects you get when you're doing foam, foam pieces. You know, so many voids and that stuff. <laughs> they said, hey, um, I was out in Toledo, Ohio, or Archbold, where they were based. Uh, they said, hey, come to this warehouse next door to me for a second. And walk into this warehouse. And they have created a mountain, literally uh, all the way to the ceiling. They had a higher ceiling than we had out there. <laughs> Huge mountain of reject foam, like gigantic orange. <laughs> That's your mountain of foam. And it was all heading to uh, be shredded. And you ever see those uh, cheap mattresses that all those different colors of foam all yeah. put in? Yeah. So they're now in those. <laughs> so every time I see some of that foam, I'm like looking for my color. I'm like, hey! <laughs> so there's always chunks. But yeah, so it's been an interesting odyssey, these things. So next year will be 30. Uh, and the year after that, of course, is 31st, which is also a big uh, pumpkin uh, holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're... Uh, we're actually in the process of bringing them back. I can't. I can't really believe it. Actually, it's kind of amazing. No kidding. So, geez, glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you uh, don't know more about my background. I'm sure I've got some stuff in the closets there somewhere. You're going to ask me about. <laughs> what about that one time at Chappaquiddick? Where did the um, nickname Mad Dog come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You have. Where did you find that? Um, okay, um, Mad Dog. Mad Dog, I think, came from a friend of mine named Ian Robinson back in high school. He used to call me Mad Dog Masters. And, um, yeah, I, I I think it was because I was probably a little passionate about what I was doing. I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to call Ian and ask him why. But, yeah, I was Mad Dog Masters for a little bit. I, I have a lot of nicknames. <laughs> I, some of them we probably shouldn't talk about. <laughs> right on. Um, I'm just going to sort of start wrapping it up here. Um just wondering, um, I, I don't really want to get into like favorites as in what's your favorite creation because what's your I'm... favorite color, <laughs> but is orange. There any... <laughs> hey! <laughs> Are there any particular movies that, um, were like really great experiences for you? Uh, in really, terms of really stuff happened. I haven't done that inspired me, kind of, um, or stuff that we have done well, that's one one um, just on ones you've worked on, just that you had the most fun doing. Okay, and then maybe also, yeah, just um, as far as um, inspiration goes, uh, any favorite movies from? Um, I always liked working. Um, well, I've worked with a couple of the Coppolas. There, those are always fun. Uh, Christopher Coppola did a bunch of Dracos. Widow. Uh, he's he's always cool. Um, the Saskas are always great. Uh, I always enjoy that. Um, I've done a couple Amy Heckerling movies. She's awesome. Awesome. Those are always fun. Um, what Dreams May Come was really cool just because it was, I, I really mm. knew that it was going to be one of the last movies that actually had extensive fantasy sets. I mean, those sets were just like crazy. And of course, then all painted over. But, you know, they were really there. I mean, they really, really? were. I mean, it was, we had spread that production all over San Francisco and they had just, um, shut down a bunch of naval bases so there was like empty space everywhere and uh, this production designer just went for it and it was just like wow this is this is literally like stepping back into golden age of hollywood i mean this is like when we used to make sets of course we don't make those anymore but it yeah. was cool to see um predator was fun um i don't know I hear living people. Someone's <laughs> alive in the shop. I wonder. Anyway, um, no, there's there's a there's a lot of different shows that uh, really it's a, it's a hard question to answer because uh, you know we really do enjoy our jobs and we do kind of go for it when we're on a project. We really do like to put our feet both in and all that business. 
I think that was Jamie just left. We have a, um, a guy that was working on a werewolf here a little late. Yep, he just left. Okay. <laughs> so now we're alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and let's, go, well, let's go put on his werewolf costume and run around. Can we? Fine. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, um, we don't have to go in through the ass, though, right? <laughs> no, not this time. No, oh, okay. no, no. Okay. We were doing a very alien-like monster uh, many years ago for Stargate Atlantis, the same time that uh, ADI guys were here doing Aliens versus Predator. And so we had this like awesome monster, and we knew they had awesome monsters. Like, hey, why don't we meet in a parking lot? Yeah, a <laughs> we'll just put on a full-on battle and see, <laughs> you know, see how it goes. So, so, so you got a job for me here? Or what? Yeah, really, right? <laughs> By the way, that didn't happen, but it should have. That would have been it. just fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, what else you got? Is there any um, any dream projects you have? Any any movie that you'd love to uh, remake, or any directors that you'd really love to work with? You know, I've worked with Steven Spielberg as a producer, but I haven't worked with him as a director. And, you know, just, just because I grew up learning every shot he ever set up, um, I'd love to work with him in that way. Um, boy, there's so many great filmmakers. Uh, I, I'm really fortunate to be able to work with the people I have worked with. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of cool. Um, I'm, I'm a real film nut. I actually don't. I, I think I told you offline I don't watch TV and I don't. I don't. I can't really connect with what's going on today. I, like, every movie that comes out, for the most part, uh, isn't for me, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Witch, I think, was like the last good movie I saw in a theater. Um, but most everything else, uh, you know, it's not as an, uh, exhilarating for me. Um, there are there are some directors out there that are still kind of cutting some fresh cloth, and so yeah. I mean, there's so many people I'd like to work with. Damn, that's a good question. I'll give you a list. <laughs> but yeah, there's it's uh, it's a great time to be a, a filmmaker. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things happening. There's some amazing artists out there. Um, you know, it's cool that you guys are here to actually ask me these questions because that shows that there's actually interest. You know, that people actually still do love this side of the film business. Um, I have um, a script that we've developed um, for a werewolf movie, and I know it sounds kind of old hat. Um, but I don't think there's ever been um, the werewolf movie. I mean, there's good werewolf movies, but every werewolf movie I can think of, for the most part, doesn't completely hit it in all numbers. You know, I want to see, I want to see it all. And so we, uh, the Saskas and I, have developed something like that, and uh, we're hoping to do it at some point. We're really busy on other things, but it's it's definitely a project that I really want to do, just because I I like werewolves. I think werewolves are a really cool creature. And I, you know, I think like you know Rob Bottin and Rick have made great werewolves, but I don't think there's really been a really that quintessential werewolf movie which I can look to and go, that's the you know what do we call it before the Citizen Kane of werewolf movies or whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, so yeah, I think there's those kind of dream projects, but you know, the anything fantasy, anything sci-fi is uh, so much fun to do, especially nowadays because we have so many toys to play with, you know, and we literally can do anything, which is cool. Great. And on that note, um, yeah. I think that yeah, I think that's a great way to end it because uh, yeah. it's a, a really actually positive way to end it. So, um, um, cool. thank you so much for yes. um, doing this and sitting down with us. And, Happy uh, fifty! Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> fifty, but really twenty-one with sixteen packs. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we're uh, really looking forward to the things you've got coming up. Um, by the time this airs, um, Blair Witch will have opened, yeah. which um, I know you were involved with. So we're excited yeah. to see that. Looking forward to that. Uh, this is Us is coming out on NBC, I think. 
Uh, it's a TV, kind of a sappy, uh, modern family kind of show. <laughs> but no horror elements at all, but there are Masters Effects pieces. Uh, what else we got coming out? But, 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 oh, I don't know if we can talk about that one yet. We have a bunch of things in production right now, which I don't even have release, da- release yeah. dates. We have The Magicians coming out in 2017, uh, like early 2017. We have uh, Underworld uh, Blood, is it Blood Wars? Uh, Underworld un- 24? Underworld, yeah, <laughs> pie. <laughs> uh, Blood Wars comes out in January. Um, there's other stuff coming up. We have a few things that are happening. There's there's actually all a plethora of things. I'm going to try to see if we can do a 20th anniversary um, Star Trek First Contact screening. That's in November. Would that be here? I don't know. I was going to send an email to Jonathan Frakes and see what he's doing. Cool. Because, I mean, that kind of needs to be a Jonathan Frakes thing. Um, but, uh, somewhere. <laughs> and then I, shit, I thought I had more on my list of things coming out. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, uh, I guess, in a nutshell. Right us. on. Ma- if you guys want to look. Perfect. And do you have any other web presence? Well, I have, uh, the Twitter, um, which I think I'm Todd R. Masters, at Todd R. Masters, I think. I think. And then Monster Masters, at Monster Masters is the shop. And then there's Facebook presence. Um, I'm... I'm big yayas at no, <laughs> Not, that's that's my other presence. Sorry, kidding. That that's his Sunday job. That's my Sunday job. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot, Todd. Yes, and, thank um, you. Yeah, thank you guys. Yeah. I, I was so impressed how well dressed and handsome you guys are. I, I, from the podcast, I thought you know, yeah. you guys yeah, are. Well, yeah. Well, we we try. Yeah, tw- we try. Twenty-five <laughs> handsome. Yeah. These these dudes are available, ladies. Come on. Don't, don't let my girlfriend hear you say. Oh, that. apparently not completely available. <laughs> just just on the weekdays. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everyone, yeah. and uh, good night. Thank you. You guys are awesome.